preceded. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in the truth. <clears throat> Father, we pray that as we, as we unfold your word, that you would give us light, that we would understand what you've caused to be written for our instruction, and that you would give us willing hearts that we might believe what it teaches and trust what it promises and obey what it commands. For when the Bible speaks, O oh God, you speak. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've been considering together a, a series of questions regarding the mission of the church. We began by asking, what is the mission of the church? And looked at passages like Matthew 28 and Luke 24, saw that the church has been commissioned by God to make disciples of Jesus among all people. And then we asked, okay, the church is to make disciples, what is a disciple? We looked at both the Apostle John's gospel and his letters, found that disciples are those who have heard and believed the message of the gospel and so have crossed from death to life through faith in Jesus. And these disciples, those who have received life in Christ, now grow more and more to live like Christ, exhibiting the, the marks of a disciple, abiding in His Word, loving one another, bearing the fruit of godliness. And then we asked, okay, this is what disciples are, how are they made? And so last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and saw that both our initial turning to the Lord in repentance and faith and then the being transformed more and more into the image of Christ, our works accomplished by the Holy Spirit through God's Word brought to us in the patient ministry of God's people. And you may remember the formula that I used that you all so wonderfully repeated after me last week. God makes disciples, spirit, word, people, time. Spirit, word, people, time. And today we want to answer another closely related question, which is who makes disciples? Making disciples is the mission of the church, but, but who is actually responsible for this ministry and how so? In Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, the Apostle Paul teaches us that God has designed the body of Christ to grow through the ministry of every disciple speaking the truth in love. God has designed the body of Christ to grow through the ministry of every disciple speaking the truth in love. We'll look at this passage then in three parts, each one building on the previous. First, God has designed and desires the body of Christ to grow. Second, the, the body of Christ grows through speaking the truth in love. And third, speaking the truth in love is the responsibility of every disciple. So, first point, God has designed the body of Christ to grow. You could look again at Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 11 through 14, which I've now realized are not in my notes. And so I'm going to pull up my Bible. Stand by. Again, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And he, that is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So just like God has designed our physical bodies to grow, so He has designed and He desires the body of Christ, the church, to grow. This kind of growth is both in numbers and in maturity. God desires more people to become disciples, and He desires that those who are disciples would grow in maturity. Christ said that He would build His church, and His church is built both out as more and more people become disciples and built up as those disciples grow more and more to become like Christ. So both, both of these ideas, being the church being built out and built up, are included in this, this sort of overarching rubric of what it means to make disciples. Again, while Paul doesn't use the, the terminology of making disciples here in Ephesians 4, he does speak about the growth or the building up of the body of Christ. So we're in the same territory. And Paul says that this, making disciples, building up the body of Christ, is the work of ministry. Ephesians 4.11, we read that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, it's important here that that Greek word work is singular. It's not plural. It's not the works of ministry or the works of service. It's the work of ministry. It refers to the church's one primary central task. There may be many different ways in which this ministry is carried out and promoted and supported, but this is the work that the church exists to do. And what is this work of ministry? Paul follows up this statement in verse 11 and 12, explaining that that the saints are being equipped for the work of ministry, that is, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The work of ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. More disciples and maturing disciples. Now this is, no doubt, work that God does. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, not you will build my church while I watch. I will build my church. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit is the chief disciple maker. He's the one who causes us to turn to the Lord and transforms us into His image. In a parallel passage to Ephesians 4 here in Colossians 2, Paul says that the body of Christ grows with a growth that is from God. So God 
does this work of building the church, of making disciples, but it's not a zero-sum game where because God does it, we don't do anything. God grows the body of Christ, and He does so through the church's ministry of making disciples. The result of this ministry is the growth of the body of Christ into maturity, Christ-like maturity. The work of ministry, Paul says, is building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's similar to what we saw last week in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that disciples are made and grow as they are transformed increasingly into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. For as Jesus said, a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. Paul says here that our work of disciple-making strives toward the goal of attaining what he calls mature manhood, that is, extending the metaphor of the church as Christ's body, Disciple-making seeks for the body to grow spiritually from childhood to adulthood. Uh, He further describes that maturity as the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of ofs there. The basic idea is that the measurement or standard by which maturity is evaluated is Christ Himself. He's the growth chart. We are to grow up to His full stature, growing up, Paul says in verse 15, in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Paul's language here is about corporate growth, the growth of the whole body, but that necessarily implies individual, personal growth as well. Growing up into Christ-likeness, growing in spiritual maturity is expected for the whole body, and for every individual in it. Just like your body grows, every part of it should grow at the same rate, at the same time. So the body of Christ ought to grow, every member in it. And that means that there's no place for Peter Pan Christianity. Christians who just want to be saved, but they never want to grow up. Disciples who are content to live in spiritual infancy, who are not only not growing in maturity, but actively don't want to. On the contrary, Paul says that we must seek to grow in maturity so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's God's design and desire for the body and individual members of it to grow more and more in Christ-like maturity. This is the work of ministry. Now, how has God designed this growth to take place? What does it it look like to do this work of ministry that builds up the body of Christ? So, second point, the body of Christ grows through the speaking of the truth in love. Again, verse 15, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So rather than remaining spiritual children, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. 
And the means by which we grow into Christ, Paul says, is by speaking the truth in love. I need to clear up what I think is a very common misconception here. When we, when we hear or use the phrase, speaking the truth in love, what we often mean is something like saying hard things in a loving way, or sort of telling it like it is, but doing so nicely. We've reduced this phrase in our common usage to mean nothing more than just a gentle correction. And while it's true that Scripture calls us to admonish and exhort and correct one another as occasion requires, and to let everything that we do be done in love, in fact, Paul himself will say the Lord's servant must be able to correct those in opposition with gentleness. I don't think that's what he means here. See, in the context, truth doesn't just mean something that is true. Ephesians 1.13, Paul speaks about the word of truth that is the gospel of your salvation. Ephesians 4.21, he speaks of Christians having learned the truth as it is in Jesus. If we were to extend beyond Ephesians, we'd find that when Paul speaks about the truth, he typically has in mind the word of truth, the true word, the word of God, the gospel, the capital T truth. To move out of spiritual infancy and grow into spiritual maturity, we need the truth of God's Word. What Paul will often describe using the metaphors of food, spiritual milk, meat. It's the fuel that causes us to grow by the Spirit's work. And this matches what we saw last week. We grow and are transformed by God's Spirit, working through His Word, causing us to behold the glory of God's Son in it, so that, as Paul says in verse 13 here, that we might attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So speaking the truth here means something more like sharing, proclaiming, teaching, applying the truth of God's gospel word. This will include things like correction and rebuke when necessary, but it's not at all limited to that. This is a much more holistic way of describing the church's disciple-making ministry. It's word work. It's through the speaking of the truth of God's Word that we are brought to trust Him, the Savior and Lord, and it is through speaking the truth of that same Word that we grow up into Him. Again, this fits with what we saw several weeks ago as we introduced the mission of the, the church. We saw such a prominent emphasis was placed on making disciples both by proclaiming and teaching. We proclaim the, the words so that people turn and trust Jesus, and then we continue to teach the word to those who have turned, encouraging them to believe what it teaches, trust what it promises, and obey what it commands. So speaking the truth in love is is word work. It's speaking, sharing, proclaiming, teaching, encouraging with, exhorting with, admonishing with, correcting with, training with God's word so that we all might grow up in every way into Christ. That's the, the bread and butter of disciple-making. You should also note, of course, that this is to be done in love. Speaking the truth in love isn't just word work, it's, it's personal 
relational word work. The phrase in love could could be taken to mean just the manner in which the truth is spoken in a loving, gentle way, and, and certainly that is true and would be good, but given the larger context of the passage, it would seem that that it is more to do with the relational context in which the truth is spoken, or to speak the, the truth in the context of loving relationships. This word work is personal and relational. If you look down to Ephesians 4.25, you see Paul say something similar. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. The context in which we speak the truth in this case is the relational context of membership in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters who are committed to, uh, to one another, to walk alongside one another in love and build one another up in Christ. In fact, I think you could argue that one of the principal ways in which we demonstrate love to one another is by our commitment to disciple one another with God's Word. Spiritual growth happens through this personal, relational word work. The Spirit transforms us more and more into the image of God's Son as God's Word is proclaimed and taught to us by God's people. Now, in a sense, this is all just reinforcing what we've already learned in this series. But who of God's people have the responsibility to do this truth-speaking, disciple-making ministry. So we go to the third point. Speaking the truth in love is the responsibility of every disciple. So you could affirm everything that we've already said and still miss God's design for the disciple-making mission of the church. You could affirm that the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus among all people. You could agree with the, the biblical definition and marks of a disciple that we've seen. You could agree that disciples are made through the work of God's Spirit, causing us to behold the glory of God's Son in God's Word, brought to us through the patient ministry of God's servants, and st yet still miss this fundamental truth that is at the heart of the church's mission. And that's this, that God has designed the church to grow and disciples to be multiplied and matured through the ministry of every disciple. Speaking the truth in love for the growth of the body of Christ is the responsibility and the privilege of every disciple of Jesus. Again, this is not something that everyone agrees on, at least not in practice. For some, it would seem that they would affirm that making disciples is the mission of the church, but for all practical purposes, the church means the religious professionals. Making disciples is the mission of the church, yes, but it's really the responsibility of the clergy and missionaries. I don't have time or training to do it. My job as a member is to, is to receive this ministry, maybe support it financially, and bring others in so that professionals can make disciples of them too. This has been the perspective of far too many Christians over the centuries, and it's an attitude that sadly has been reinforced by the, the attitudes and the practices of some pastors and churches. Make it seem like unless you've been to seminary, you can't use the Bible to make disciples. This is distinctly not what we see the Bible teaches about making disciples, and we see that clearly in Ephesians 4. So when we speak about the mission of the church, we don't mean the mission of the church's leaders. 
We mean the mission of the whole church, all of its members, every disciple. Every disciple has the responsibility to make disciples by speaking the truth in love. We see this in a few places in the passage. First, if you look back at verses 11 and 12, we see that God has given people to the church. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So God has given these gifts to the church, these gifts of people, leaders with particular roles and functions, but He's given them to the church not to do the work of ministry themselves while everybody else watches. God gave these leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To be clear, saint is not a special class of Christian. Saint is another way of talking about all Christians, all disciples. In the New Testament, Christians are called saints, literally holy ones, not because they are especially holy or do holy things, but because, as Hebrews 10 says, we have been sanctified, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are growing in holiness step by step, yes, that's part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. But in this, we are becoming in practice what we already are in status. God has declared us to be holy on the basis of what Christ has done for us, and now He is making us progressively more holy through what Christ is doing in us. So the work of ministry, the work of building up the body of Christ, the work of making and maturing disciples is a work that is the responsibility of the saints, that is all Christians. God has given shepherds and teachers to the church for the purpose of equipping disciples for this work. As pastors and, and elders, we are tasked with leading the congregation in this, both in our teaching and in our example. But the work of ministry, the speaking of God's word to one another to build up the body of Christ into spiritual maturity, to see disciples made and multiplied, that, that work belongs to you. We see this again in verse 16. Paul says that we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The growth of the body happens when each part is working properly. And Paul emphasizes the totality of the church's involvement. It's the whole body, every joint, every, uh, each part. He's talking about every individual believer in the church. What does it mean for each part to be working properly? It means that each disciple is taking responsibility for speaking the truth in love to build up the body of Christ. Notice that it's working here that makes the body grow and be built up. And so it's similar to what we read in verses 12 and 13, that the work of ministry is that which causes the building up of the body of Christ. And then if we, if we compare that with verse 15, we find a clear parallel. 
In verse 16, growth happens when each part is working properly. And in verse 15, growth happens by speaking the truth in love. And so it stands to reason then that the proper working that each part is to engage in to promote the growth of the body is that work of speaking the truth in love, sharing, teaching, proclaiming God's word to one another. Every disciple is called to make disciples by speaking the truth in love, patiently, perseveringly, proclaiming and teaching God's Word, coming alongside others to help them behold the glory of God's Son in His Word and His Gospel, in dependence on God's Spirit, to cause them to turn to the Lord and be transformed into His image. Now, this means that we we can't outsource the mission of disciple-making to the professionals. Yes, there are those who are set apart to labor in preaching and teaching and equipping the, the saints, but the work of ministry extends to all of God's people. Every disciple is to be a disciple-maker. This is how God designed the body of Christ to grow, both in the number of disciples and maturity of disciples, all of God's people speaking God's word, in dependence on God's spirit, to make disciples of Jesus among all people. And this is how the early church grew. If you will recall, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The initial expansion of the church beyond Jerusalem was, was not through the preaching and teaching of the apostles but all the rest of the believers who were scattered because of the persecution. The apostles were in Jerusalem. In fact, the book of Acts tells us distinctly that they were the only ones left in Jerusalem. But Acts 8.4, those who were scattered, everybody else, went about preaching the word. When the gospel came to Antioch, it didn't come through the ministry of the apostles or other recognized spiritual leaders, but just unnamed Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene who came preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And similarly, it was not just the apostles who were committed to the work of building up and strengthening the church. We read earlier in, in Acts 18 about Priscilla and Aquila, a, a, a husband and wife from Ephesus who took responsibility to disciple the gifted Apollos. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That uh, word explained is actually a Greek word that we get our word catechism from. They took him aside and they catechized him. They systematically taught him the truth that he might be able to more effectively minister. They helped him to grow up into the body of Christ. So we had two disciples here, Priscilla and Aquila are not apostles, just two disciples who knew they had a responsibility to disciple others. And then Apollos then, in turn, went across the Aegean to Corinth. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed with his teaching. Not apostles, elders, pastors, just Christians discipling one another with the Word of God. Now, you, you hear this, and it might sound quite intimidating. You might hear it and think, I don't know if I can do that. You might think, I don't know enough to do that. You might think, I'm not a gifted teacher or speaker. How can I speak the truth in love? You might think, well, I'm not like Apollos. I'm not eloquent. I don't think I'm competent in the Scriptures. 
How can I make disciples? I think part of the problem we run into with this is that we have a pretty narrow definition of what it means to speak the Word of God, to speak the truth in love. We think of the the ministry of speaking God's Word, we often think that it basically just means preaching from a pulpit like this, or maybe teaching a classroom full of people, or maybe proclaiming the gospel on the street corner to strangers. Now, all of those things are ways in which the Word can be proclaimed and taught, but they're not the only way. And far more often, I think, this ministry is just a very ordinary personal ministry of people bringing the Word of God to bear in one another's lives. It's Christians spurring one another on to love and good deeds with the Word of God. It's disciples reminding one another of the promises of the gospel when they struggle. It's believers faithfully sharing the good news about Jesus with friends and neighbors. It's brothers and sisters in Christ counseling and exhorting and encouraging and consoling and instructing one another with the Scriptures. And while it's true that not all Christians are called to the public ministry of the Word, something like being an elder or being set apart to preach the Word of God, all Christians are called to the personal ministry of the Word as we seek to intentionally proclaim and teach God's Word to one another so that we all grow up into Christ-likeness. It's my calling to equip you for this work. Some of that equipping... I pray, I I trust, comes through our regular preaching as I seek not only to proclaim what the Bible says, but also to demonstrate how to read and interpret and apply the Bible well. But some of that equipping also needs to be more intentional and focused. Someone came to me a few weeks ago and said, in effect, I'm in, I'm on board, making disciples of Jesus among all people, great, but I need to be equipped in this. What do I do? So we, we need to talk about ways in which which I and which the elders and others in our body can provide training and equipping on things like how to understand and share the gospel, how to help someone who's become a Christian get rooted in their faith and begin to walk with Jesus, how to read and understand and apply the Bible, how to, how to use biblical truth to disciple others, and more. But as intentional as I need to be about seeking ways to equip you to speak the truth in love, My exhortation to you is that you need to be equally intentional about your commitment to speak the truth in love with one another. It can happen a lot of different ways. Uh, One that I'd suggest considering is a simple reproducible method outlined in a little book called One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. I believe we have a copy of it in the library. I was convinced we had a copy of it in the narthex until I came in this morning and found that I was wrong. Uh, We'll try to get some more of those out. It's an an easy way to just say, I want to sit down with somebody in my life, open the Word of God, and for us to read and think and interpret and apply and discuss and pray through it together, trusting that there we're going to see the glory of God's Son and be transformed. It can be as simple as just committing to read the Bible with someone. And though it's certainly important to continually be equipped for this work, it, it absolutely does not require a seminary degree, nor does it require a prefabricated ministry 
program as if you need to wait for us to, to start something, for you to have permission to ask somebody to read the Bible with them or to encourage them with the Word of God. It does not require you to be appointed to an office in the church. It, it doesn't take credentials or formality, but it does take intentionality, a willingness and a desire to invest in the lives of others, helping them to behold the glory of God's Son and His words that they might turn to the Lord and be transformed. And it means a willingness and a desire to be equipped for and invested in that work. And it also means that we need to be more than just opportunistic, reactive disciple-makers. It's important that we are prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us when somebody asks us for it. But disciple-making is more than just waiting for those opportunities to come to us. We, we need to be intentional, proactive disciple-makers, seeking out opportunities to help others follow Jesus, and in turn, to allow others to help us follow Jesus. It's only in this, in each part of the body of Christ, working properly, speaking the truth in love, that the body of Christ makes disciples and grows up into maturity. So how can you seek to be equipped to speak the truth in love with one another? And who in your life can you prioritize spending time with, investing in, to help them behold Christ in the Word and be transformed. This is the work of disciple-making. It's, it's the mission to which the church and all of us have been called. And I'll close with, a, with a, one of my favorite quotes about the nature of the church and its mission. This is from the English Baptist pastor, Andrew Fuller. He said, the primitive churches, that is, the early churches, were not mere assemblies of men who agreed to meet together once or twice a week and to subscribe for the support of an accomplished man who on those occasions should deliver lectures on religion. They were men gathered out of the world by the preaching of the cross and formed into a society for the promotion of Christ's kingdom in their own souls and in the world around them. And it was not the concern of the ministers or elders only. The body of the people were interested, that is, personally invested, involved in all that was done, and according to their several abilities and stations, took part in it. Neither were they assemblies of heady, high-minded, contentious people meeting together to argue on points of doctrine or discipline, converting the worship of God into scenes of strife. They spoke the truth, but it was in love. They observed discipline, but like an army of chosen men, it was that they might attack the kingdom of Satan to greater advantage. Happy were it for our churches if we could come to a closer imitation of this model. To that I would simply say amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us not only to Yourself through Your Son, uh, not only into this body together, but to this work, this work of 
partnering with you in the ministry of extending the gospel to all people, that all the world might worship the eternal God. Father, we pray that you would equip us in every way to do your will and work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Give us opportunities to speak the truth in love and help us to speak with clarity, compassion, conviction that all that we come into contact with might be led towards Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.